listening to a podcast of Elam Lutheran Church in Osakis, Minnesota. Our passion is to be an oasis of life-giving water where lost and wandering souls can find eternal refreshment. For more information and to find out more about our ministries, please visit osakiselamchurch.com. Or if you're in the area, come visit us in person. One problem of getting up to speak after you have had a meal is you have to be careful you don't have some lettuce hanging from your teeth or (laughs) mushrooms or whatever it might be. But uh, before I start, I'm going to take a a survey. And I want you to be honest. How many of you like to get up and speak in front of a group of people? Thank you. I'm in good company. (laughs) When Pastor Luke asked me uh, to give my testimony, uh, he mentioned that we can, and it's so true, we can sit together in a church for years and do things with people, but we don't always know what their testimony is, what their walk with the Lord has been. And I think this is a great idea other than the fact I have to be up here talking. But um, some of us, some of us have dramatic testimonies. We became Christians just like kind of out of the blue. Some of us have struggles, like Rich talked about. Some of us have a quiet start to our Christian walk. And uh, some of us can pinpoint the date and some of us cannot. And, uh, but there's one thing that all of us have in common, and that is we were born in sin, we're on the road to destruction, and Christ intervened in our lives. Amen. And uh, so I was, I've heard many testimonies and I've testified to other people, but I was kind of curious to see what the definition of a testimony was. <laughs> and. Uh, especially in relationship to a Christian. And what I read is is defined as proof, demonstration, evidence of fact, which reflect the work of Jesus in a life and what he is able to do. That was the one I read. And uh, I like that phrase, what he is able to do. In Ephesians 3.20, It says, now, to him who is able to do exceedingly abundant above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory. And again, I like that, to him who is able. And as I look over my life, those words, he is able, are written all over it. In spite of who I am and what I've done and the way my life has gone, he is able is a term that I would have to use over and over again. He's the glue that has held me together in my life. 
I'm 75 years old, and I've had a long walk with the Lord. But I want to start my story when I was a baby. When I was a baby, I contracted an infection. I had a high fever, I had many seizures, and at one of my doctor's appointments with my mother, she was told that there really wasn't any more that they could do for me. That what she just had to do is take me home. And whatever, pretty much whatever happened, happened. And uh, they said, you know, keep me warm and, and feed me if they could. And, uh, well, God is able. Here I am today, 75 years later. My walk with the Lord actually began 65 years ago. Now, it, it began probably many years before some of you even were born. And uh, that, that walk became, or I should say the walk began in the Elam Church basement. I came to Sunday school just like you young kids are, and just like your parents have, and even your grandparents. And I heard the stories about Noah and Jonah and Miriam and Martha and Mary and Peter. And I learned about Jesus, who was born in a stable, who grew to be a man, was crucified, was, uh, crucified on the cross for my sin. And um, my Sunday school teachers, their last names were Fisnes, Larson, Klukin, and Samson. And some of those names you recognize. And they were not only my teachers, but throughout my teen life and my adult life, they ministered into my life. I learned also through them that Jesus loved me, that um, there was a heaven and a hell, that I could accept Jesus into my life, have forgiveness of sin, and have eternal life. And every Sunday, and, and those, those teachings really um, settled into my life. The teachers, and, and I talk to all of you that do teaching, you cannot imagine the impact your teaching has on the children's lives. It, it doesn't just have an impact, it has an eternal impact for many, just like mine did. At the end of our Sunday school class, or yeah, classes on Sunday, we would sing a song, and it went like this. Into my heart, into my heart, come into my heart, Lord Jesus, come in today, come in to stay, come into my heart, Lord Jesus. And as a young person, every time I sang that song, it convicted me, along with the words of my teacher. 
Now, while that song may not check all the correct boxes of theology, it affected me. And one Sunday, I sat there, and while we were singing that song, I asked the Lord to forgive me and to come and live in my heart. And that's where I started. My parents were not Christians. I was the first one that became a believer in my family. My parents, they grew up in Christian homes. They had Christian members in their family. We had a legacy of Christianity on both sides of our family. But they attended church randomly. But they did bring us to Sunday school most of the time. But one day, when I was in sixth grade, our pastor, Pastor Morris Vold, who was great at making home visits, came to my, my, my house. And there, in my parents' living room, he led them to Christ. And uh, I was so excited. I was going to country school at the time. I was so excited that I went to school and I told everybody, my parents have become Christians. You know what the response was? None. Sadly, many of the kids that I went to school with did not know, the, <clears throat> did not know anything about what a Christian really was. They weren't taught in, in their churches that Jesus died for their sin and, and you could be forgiven and, and, and any of that. And uh, so that, that didn't really <laughs> resonate with them. Um, but because of that pastor, Pastor Vold, coming into our home and leading my parents to Christ, that just that simple visit, my parents are in heaven. And someday I will see them. <clears throat> God is able. There were four main things when I grew up, or actually when I started in my Christian walk, that were really important to me. And uh, I'll just tell you a little bit about them. First of all, it was the Bible. And my Bible was very important. I poured, as a youngster, I poured over that Bible over and over. And I underlined verses in the Bible, and I would write in the columns, and I would uh, memorize verses. I memorized a lot of verses through Sunday school, through vacation Bible school, uh, on my own. And then later when I went to Bible school, I did. I, I knew, I had memorized many, many verses, and I can tell you, I am so thankful I did. Because I can't tell you how many times that I have been able to use those verses when I have talked to others about the Lord. There's just, there's a lot of things you can say as I, you know, I experienced this or I did that, but when you can quote a Bible verse and what Jesus said, that's, that's the main event. The second thing that was important to me was prayer. 
Prayer was always my telephone to God. And uh, prayer has been always very important to me. And, uh, and I will have to say it was also for my mother. And um, I'm just so grateful that I can meet with several ladies for, for prayer every week and in Bible study here. And uh, it just it thrills my soul. But I spend a lot of time in prayer on my own because I need it. I really need it. The third thing that was important to me was a little book. It was about this big, and it was, wasn't too thick, and it was called What Jesus Means to Me. And I loved that book because it expressed how I felt being a Christian believer as a young person. And uh, I, I just kept that with me all the time. But then one day, I met a young woman who uh, was a new Christian, and uh, she was struggling a little bit. And uh, I gave that book to her so that she could read, too, and, and understand. And many years later, in fact, not that many years ago, I got a package in the mail, and that book was in the package, and with a note saying how much that book had meant to her, too. The fourth thing um, was a plaque that I had received in Vacation Bible School, but a lot of kids did. I mean, my brothers did too. And on the plaque, it was just a simple, thin wood plaque, and it says, only one life shall soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And I want to tell you, that little phrase has stuck with me my whole life. And uh, I realize as the older I get, the truer that is. And uh, we, we can participate in many things and do a lot of things in our life and have fun and this and that. But I'll tell you what, when our life is over, only what's done for Christ will last. And uh, everything else that we've done or said or whatever, that'll become rubble. But what's done for Christ will last. In my yearly years, um, I um, attended Bible school in mm -hmm. Fergus. And uh, while I was attending, uh, I shouldn't say Bible school, Bible camp, and uh, one year past, uh, pastor missionary Joel uh, Lundy spoke to us. And he spoke about the mission field and... Um, he said, one of the things that really stuck with me is he said, you don't have to go to Africa, Japan, Taiwan, or Taiwan, or overseas anywhere, but you can be a missionary right in the area you're at, and that God calls you as a Christian believer to be a missionary. And I think that's really true. So after high school, then I went to Fergus. I worked at uh, Braun Nursing Home while I went to Bible school. And when I went to Bible school, it was with the intention that God would prepare me to be that kind of missionary that he wanted to be, me to be wherever I was to be. And uh, so um, it was there I realized that nursing was to be my career. 
That was to be my career. But God's calling to me was to be a missionary, a minister to those who were vulnerable, for those who had health and mental issues. And, um, and I think um, it's so true that people who are in distress, whether they have health problems, and you know this, in your own life you've met people, it's at those times that oftentimes people seek God, or they, they want, want to hear about God and, and, and so on. And so the, for the, the next 40 years, God gave me a ringside seat to see that he is able in any situation, and he privileged me to participate, to pray, to share God's word, and he taught me that he could heal, he could restore, he could comfort, he could transform. And, and, and so many other things. And he opened the doors in my life and he closed them and he answered prayers, not only as I would, would have wanted him to, but I'm really grateful for that. And I could tell you about hundreds of times, and I mean hundreds of times, during my nursing career, that I saw God work in amazing ways. What happened behind closed doors, in teaching sessions, with colleagues, patients, and parents, proved to me over and over that God is able. And um, I thought about well, something I could share about that, and, I, and I, I couldn't even pick one thing. There were so many things. And the fact that God allowed me to be a part of that, um, I look back on it, it is just amazing to me. I just feel blessed. And it was, I, I saw his hands on everything. And uh, it, it wasn't about what I could do or this or that. It was what I saw God do. And it blew me away many times. And even now, in retirement, oh, we haven't stopped being missionaries. We haven't stopped doing the things that I was able to do, and we haven't stopped seeing the things that I saw then. We've had some pretty amazing interactions and some pretty amazing things happen in our lives even after we have retired. And I praise the Lord for that. In fact, Lauren and I were just talking about how blessed we are. Very blessed. God is able. I want to share, you, share one incident of my life that, now it's a personal thing that happened to me. At the age of 30, I went to my doctor for a physical exam. No big deal, right? And in the process of that exam, he found a large tumor in my pancreas. It was so large I could feel it. I don't know why I hadn't felt it before then, but I could feel it. And uh, he was very concerned. And so he sent me to some tests and uh, scans and 
x-rays and other types of tests. And after everything was said and done, he told me to get my life in order because I probably had less than two years to live. He told me I needed to see a surgeon. And uh, I chose a surgeon who I knew. He was a Christian man, and I just, he was a very good surgeon, and he was the one I wanted. But uh, he, went on, he was on vacation. He wasn't going to be back for a week. So uh, I had scheduled myself for a medical conference, and uh, uh, it was on the East Coast. So um, I decided to go to that conference. Well, what else do you do, you know? <laughs> um, looking back on it, I, I find it interesting to me that I thought a conference would be a good idea to attend when I'd pretty much just given, been given the death sentence. <laughs> I wasn't sure what I was going to do after that conference. Um, but, um, and I just have to tell you one funny thing is that I flew to Washington, D.C., and then I took this little plane from D.C. to Virginia, uh, Charlottesville, Virginia, and uh, where my conference was at. And uh, as I was sitting in that little plane, I mean, it was a kind of a puddle jumper. And you know how in front of this, and behind this seat in front of you has this, you know, they have magazines and so on. So, hey, you know, I pulled one out and I was going through the magazine and, and there on one page it said, airlines from the best to the worst. And, uh, of course, did I put it back in without looking? Oh, of course not. I had to look to, at that list. And I started at the top back then. It was Northwest Airlines and Republic and on and on and on down the list. And there was my airlines, the very last one on the list. And it was, I mean, it, now when I think of it, it was pretty funny. I mean... But I thought, but my thought at the time, as I put it back in, I thought at the time, well, what difference does it make? <laughs> I'd already been told I was going to die. <laughs> and, uh, but going to that conference, I, I think God had a hand in that even. Because uh, between sessions, I had a lot of time to think and to pray and to read the scripture. And... Um, God, um, I don't know if he really confronted me, but he spoke to my heart, and he brought this thought to my mind. Did I trust him to do what's best for my life? Could I give my total self and my future to him and be okay with that? A verse um, that was given to me at that time was Isaiah 26.3. As I was going through my Bible, it said, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusts in thee. After much prayer and thinking, I realized that as a believer, I really had nothing to lose. Whether I lived or I died, I was the Lord's. And uh, a peace really came over my life. And um, 
you know, I never asked for God to heal me. And my parents and my family and people from the church, I know what we're praying, but I, I didn't ask God to heal me. The thought didn't even come to my mind. I was dealing more with the peace issue and having that peace. And so I could say, Lord, do with me whatever you will. When I arrived home after the weekend, I was admitted to the surgical oncology ward at Methodist Hospital in St. Louis Park. My surgeon came in to see me the next day and he examined me. He looked at my test results. He asked me questions. He examined me again and he left the room and then he came back. He told me he was gonna order some more tests, more scans, and, um, and then he left the room. And so that day I spent going to tests and everything. The next morning he came into my room. He walked up to me, he picked up my hand and he said, and these were his exact words, your tumor is gone, God has healed you. You can go home. And I could add to those words, God is able. Has this experience impacted me and how I perceived uh, who God was and the circumstances of my life from then on? Absolutely. I still feel the pain of grief and losses, the disappointments that happen, the struggles of day-to-day -day living, but I don't ask why. Because God has satisfied that because his ways are higher than my ways and his thoughts are higher than mine. I trust him. I know without a doubt he knows what's best. He sees my future. He knows my beginnings and my end. And I am secure in him. God is able. My life has not been perfect. And I would guess if I asked any one of you Christians if your life was pretty perfect, you would probably the same thing as I. No, it wasn't. In fact, there have been times in my life I've been like the Israelites, wandering in the wilderness, disobeying God, like Peter walking on the water, focusing on Jesus, and then all of a sudden, he looked down. That's me. Like Jonah, who we're studying in Bible class, who was given a call to do God's work, to go to Nineveh. And he wasn't exactly obedient, and he ended up in the belly of a fish for three days before he was thrown up on the sand and was to continue. And, and then, well, that story we haven't ended yet in our Bible study, but you know what the end is. And uh, that's, that's like me. I've gone down rabbit trails that God never intended me to go down, never. I've, I've uh, 
been desperate. I've been terrified. I've been uh, had to be disciplined by God. There are times I have only thing I could do was cry out, "Help me, Lord." I had times when I have moved away from God. I tried to do things on my own. But you know something about a Christian? God doesn't let us go. And if we continue on the path that we're on, that's disobedient, there are consequences. But he never, never moves away from, he never moved away from me, even though I moved away from him at times. And I can tell you, the times that I did move away from God was when I was not in the scripture. When we're in the scripture, Satan really tries to deceive us and tempt us. I am forgiven, justified, sanctified, even when I was not worthy, he made me worthy. There are two verses I want to share with you in closing. One is my life verse from Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In Revelations 12:11, and this is speaking of uh, the martyrs, those that have given up their life, had given up their life for Christ. And this is what it says about them. And they overcame him, Satan by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. That's my desire, is not to love my life to the death. I want to be willing to sacrifice, even if it's myself, for Christ if need be, because he is my peace, and he is always able. Hey friends, Pastor Luke here. Thanks so much for tuning in. I trust that you've been blessed by our message from God's word today. Hey, we'd love to connect with you more. If you have comments or questions, you can email me directly at pastorchellog at gmail.com. That's pastor K-J-O-L-H-A-U-G at gmail.com. As we wrap up our time together today, please receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen. Amen.